Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. People live in a world of their own making. Frankly, that seems to be the problem. Welcome to Angry Planet. Hello, and welcome to Angry Planet. I'm Matthew Galt. And I'm Jason Fields. If you're a fan of the show, you've probably seen and read a lot of things about the war in Ukraine. But you've never seen anything quite like the new popular front documentary, Frontline Hooligan. Today's guest, he needs no introduction. He's been on the show many times. If you like Angry Planet, you probably like Popular Front. I'm in my Popular Front uh, Havana Syndrome t-shirt right now. It's Jake Hanrahan. He's an independent journalist, the host of Popular Front, and it's a podcast that focuses on the niche details of modern warfare and underreported conflict. Today, we're going to talk about Frontline Hooligan, Hanrahan's travels in Ukraine, and how places like YouTube make it hard, if not impossible, for independent journalists like him. Jake, thank you once again for coming on to Angry Planet. Mate, thanks again for having me. Like, thanks so much. And we were just talking before we recorded there, but like you guys really helped propel us like popular front from the start, man. So I'm very, very grateful, man. Appreciate it. it you do, you Take do us amazing with work. You. <laughs> Take yeah, us seriously. with you. I can barely hold myself up right now. <laughs> but yeah, one day. <laughs> the plan is one day to hit big and bring everybody in, but we're just getting battered by censorship, but uh, yeah, we'll talk about that later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely i, I want to tell I want to tell people what's being censored before we get into the censorship portion Absolutely. because, like, this like it's a really good doc. It's on YouTube. You. You, I'm everyone, really proud of it, actually. everyone can watch it. Um, but for so basic stuff out of the way for the Americans in the audience who don't know, mm-hmm. because it's like a different culture that we kind of don't have here. Yes. What is a football hooligan? So a football hooligan, or sometimes the, the word uh, football ultra is kind of used interchangeably, but they are slightly different. But essentially, a football hooligan is somebody that fights, fist fights with other, um, I guess, ultra fans of various football clubs. Um, and they meet, they organize to just fight each other, basically, because they're from rival clubs. Um, usually, well, always young men, you know, want to, want to fight. <laughs> and that's how it is. And to be honest, I... Personally, like you'll notice in the doc, we didn't we didn't have any moral comment on football hooliganism at all. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Really, they're not attacking civilians. They're not, you know, they they meet in fields to fight each other most of the time. So it's kind of it kind of is what it is. You know, they want to fight each other and they do it, uh, and it's it's all consensual if you know what I'm saying. So yeah, man, it's it's a culture of fist fighting, violence. Well, sometimes weapons are actually involved, but yeah, I, I, I guess I guess like a, a real subculture of um, violence, uh, physical violence between opposing football teams 
which in Europe, it's been a very big thing. Um, in Britain, you know, people quite know, like probably will look at Britain for football hooliganism because we had a lot of firms back in the day. But the European version is just way more interesting, a different culture altogether and a lot more violent and with people that are a lot better at fighting, to be honest. Just, just because I'm fascinated with this particular aspect of it, because again, we just don't have it here. Mm. Um, you know, in America, men uh, buy guns and push their rage down, and then it explodes. Uh, yeah. They don't go out and like get it out in a field with their buddies. Uh, why? Like, how did? Do we have any idea like how this kind of developed and became formalized at all? Well, from what I understand, it kind of began in the stands. You know, like one team would would play a, a rival team. Um, I mean, a, an example we could use right now could be from from um, Frontline Hooligans. So the lads that I film with there, um, they all support Arsenal Kiev, which is bankrupt now. But their biggest rival was Dynamo Kiev. Um, and all the ultras from Dynamo Kiev are far right. All the ultras from Arsenal Kiev are anti-fascist. So there's a political aspect to it there, which is something a little bit different in mainland Europe as opposed to Britain. But basically, like they would just end up fighting in the stands. Two different teams would fight each other because they don't like each other. Um, and the most ultra angriest fans would fight. And then it just developed into, well, let's not fight at the stands because everybody gets banned from the club. Um, and it, it, I mean, to be honest, the the football element of football hooliganism became secondary the the violence became the first thing really you know like the violence was what it was and yeah there's a lot of people it's really bad it's really bad sure whatever but really you know young men found a space to get out their aggression and their anger it wasn't really about the fanaticism of the football actually it was more about tribal violence which whatever you however progressive people want to be forever in a day that will be a part of a young man's journey, I do think, specifically from certain backgrounds, perhaps. But I do think a lot of young men feel that, you know, and, and that's how it developed. So it sounds like Clockwork Orange to me. <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> how so? It's like uh, just, yeah, the tribalness yeah. and also just this need for violence. Yeah, I'll be honest. Like, I, I, as a teenager, you know, like I was, you know, the background, the area I'm from. The town I'm from particularly, just violence was just you hit a certain age and you either become involved in fist fighting or you don't, you know, and if you don't, that's fine, whatever. But it was just a, especially in my peer group, it was just a thing that happened. You just became involved in in street fighting, really, you know, not not that I was a tough guy by any stretch at all. Like, but, you know, I was like, oh, oh cool. Like, this is cool, you know, like, and then it got beaten up a few times. I was like, oh, I'm not the tough guy I thought I was. But I, I just joined the Muay Thai boxing gym. And through that, we got it out that way, you know. So in the end, we were like, okay, we're not hooligans. We're, you know, we do combat sports. We like it. And it was just like a very, a very good way, actually, to create a good friendship group where you trust each other because, you know, physically you have each other's backs. And again, in certain environments, particularly working class ones in Britain, there is a lot of violence. Unfortunately, now it's all it's all uh, knife violence now, and it's just appalling and disgusting. But you know, that's it was it was before it was fist fighting, you know, and it was like, oh, your friend's got this friend's back. I remember going to a fight where like my school fought another school in the same town, you know, like just the dumbest thing ever. But at the time, it was just like, oh, the boys were going out and blah blah. So. I know it sounds bad, like violence is, it is, I guess, bad, but 
it just is a way of life in a way for some people, you know, in certain backgrounds in, in Britain. Uh, certainly the youth are different now. Like I think even in my town, like I see a lot of that fist fighting culture is gone. It's more around gang culture now and stabbing and all that horrible stuff. And the youth that maybe would have been involved in the fist fighting are more involved in partying, which is actually a lot more positive. You know, I see a lot more of the youth that I think, man, if they were coming up in my time, I mean, I'm not that old, I'm 32, but still it, it's a big de- generation gap. I think if they were coming up in my time, they would have probably been involved in, you know, the, the, I mean, I don't want to say like, oh, the street fighting scene. It wasn't like that, but it was just a thing that happened a lot. You know, um, it would just, it was just always happen. And now they're more into partying and fashion. And I think that's a lot more positive. But my point is it was like a very big part of British culture for a long time, still is in certain places. Um, and in, in Europe, particularly Eastern Europe, it's still a massive thing. You know, it has been for a long time. Um, over there in Eastern Europe, they're a lot more tougher than any of us are in Britain. So it was different. Okay. So tell us about Hood's Hood's clan. Yeah. So, so Hood's Hood's clan is, um, the group that I, the documentary is about. And Hood's Hood's clan is the only anti-fascist football hooligan firm in the whole of Ukraine. Now, due to the general politics of street violence in Europe and particularly Eastern Europe, all the other, um, football hooligan firms, in Ukraine are either far right or more interested in the right wing so much so that they would see an anti-fascist as an enemy, even if they're not fascist themselves. You know what I'm saying? They would be more inclined to be with the right wingers. So it's a big mix. Uh, Dynamo Kiev, for example, all their ultras, their club, their football ultras are called white boys. They're Nazis, like neo-Nazis. Not to say, again, just want to flag straight up, Putin's idea that the whole of Ukraine is a Nazi junta is complete and utter nonsense. But there is an element to the subculture there of Nazism, as there is in pretty much every European country you can find. Now, Hutsud's clan have been fighting for more than 10 years now, and they were drastically outnumbered. As I said, you know, every other football hooligan firm was was a Nazi or, or a far right or, or right wing at the time. But Hudson's clan, you know, they just saw things differently. Like in the documentary, Anton, the kind of main character of our, our doc, the kind of de facto head of Hudson's clan, um, he kind of just said they didn't really have an answer for it. There was no big theory. There was no political. It was just like, we see things differently. We don't like fascism. We don't like oppression. We don't like racism. We're all anti-racist. And we declared that. So not only did they took, take that stance, they publicly went out and said, hey, we're anti-fascists, like, uh, and we're going to beat up the Nazis, you know? So, and luckily for them, they were very outnumbered, but they're very, very adept at street violence. So they had a smaller group, but a very close group. Like, they were, excuse me, they were like friends, very much close friends. And that friendship developed in blood, I guess, on the streets fighting with fascists. Uh, in fact, one of the Hutu's clan members died. Um, one of them lost a kidney. So, you know, things were very extreme, but they still carried on like, no, we're anti-fascists and we're going to fight these guys. And even if you talk to some of the neo-Nazi groups, there's actually an extract um, from the book uh, 1312, which is a book about uh, European ultras. One of the fascist um, football hooligan firms in Ukraine actually talks about Hutsuts clan and is like, yeah, they beat us up. <laughs> you know what I mean? So these are a very violent, very adept group of uh, militant anti-fascists. It spawned out of um, punk hardcore. So the anti-fascist punk hardcore scene in Ukraine, despite Russian propaganda, is very healthy, has been for a long time. And then the football hooligan stuff came into it. You know, they they found Arsenal Kiev and Arsenal Kiev's fans the football ultras, if you like, they were like, no, we're not fascists. We're kind of apolitical, but we don't like the fascists. And so Hutsud's clan 
kind of developed as like the anti-fascist wing of that and they were like hey no we're not only apolitical us lot are anti-fascist let's all be anti-fascist let's you know this is the way and i agree with them that is the way anti-fascism in my opinion is correct it's the good way like anybody that wants totalitarianism on another person is just brain dead to me so you know it's a very interesting element of the ukraine war and it's extremely unique and when the war started hoods clan were like well we've got this group of lads we trust each other and we're all adept at violence we all know we've got each other's back it's not even a question we don't know it because we think we've seen it you know they've saved each other through violence and whatever um so they said okay well you know our country's being invaded that is the big threat now so they kind of called a truce they said look you know i reached out to the other fascist groups and said look right now we all have a bigger problem um we need to not fight each other we're not going to fight with you but just know that we don't need to be fighting each other right now we're starting a unit so Hutsud's clan, they got weapons, they formed a little militia, if you like, um, and they joined the um, anti-authoritarian um, coalition of fighters. It's known as the Resistance Committee. It's a mix of anti-authoritarians, anarchists, anti-fascists. So Hutsud's clan joined that group, and they're all under the, the kind of state paramilitary force, the territorial defense. So right now, some of them are fighting on the front in the east. Um, a load of them are still on guard duty in Kiev after the war. Obviously, they were there, but the war in Kiev is not as hot right now. It's it's moved to the east completely. So now Hutsud's clan is essentially a uh, anti-fascist armed unit of the uh, territorial defense fighting Russian forces. I mean, what a story, right? Like when I was reading about them and I was like, this is incredible. Right? It's a very popular front, you know. How many of them are there and how old are they? What are their ages? So it's a mix. So Anton, like I said, the kind of de facto head, he's 35. There are some older lads like they're the kind of old school. Like, like I said, they've been fighting for more than 10 years now. I think they formed in 2006 um, as this explicit anti-fascist fighting group. Um, and so there's, there's like maybe 10 to 20 members in like the resistance committee um there's many more out in the east you know there's a lot of them all together i mean there was over a hundred of them at one point you see what i'm saying so it was you know they were having fights where it was 40 versus 70 you know what i'm saying like big fights organized fights uh obviously things change people move away people move away from football hooliganism they have families whatever but there is a young generation as well so some of the fighters we met there was anton was like 35 um some of the other lads were like you know in their late 20s early 20s you know it's, it's a mix but it's certainly uh there's like hoods clan is a whole culture you know what i mean you can feel it as well when you're with them it's like this is our thing like and it's a very it's a very cool unique thing as well it's football hooliganism but it's kind of it's got this this taint of like european eastern european ultra style mixed with eastern european hardcore punk style and they all hit the gym. They're all henched off. Like, you know, it's just a very cool people covered in tattoos. Um, one of the best photos I saw, they're in their military fatigues and they have their, their T-shirt on, one of their T-shirt designs. And it says Arsenal Ultras. And the image is an SS Totenkopf um, deathhead skull with bolt cutters cutting the skull in half, like smashing it open. Their declaration to say, we are anti-fascist and we will break your head open. You know, and I was just like, what a cool image. And this lad, he's got like tattoos on his face. He's got like a, a boonie hat on and sunglasses. Like they're all about it. You know, it's a whole culture. It's uh, it's not a hobby. It's a lifestyle for them, you know. But yeah, to answer your question, there's at least a hundred of them uh, in the fighting units. They're, they're kind of dispersed between the East and Kiev. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of them. What does anti-fascist mean to them? 
really? I mean, does it mean pro-Jew, for example, or what does it mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, so, it, they're, so they're anti-fascist. So for them, they're against racism. They're against anti-Semitism and they're against anti, um, sorry, they're against homophobia. So, you know, they're very much like, it's not, they're not like, oh, read this theory of da da da. Like some of them are anarchists, some of them are otherwise apolitical, but they're all anti-fascist, you know? They're just like, they're kind of, they're, their outlook is essentially, we want to beat up the fascists, the people that don't like our friends, and we want to enjoy our life and we want to protect people that, want to see the world free essentially that's kind of it you know they're just they're just natural anti-fascists so yeah if you're like if you don't like jews if you don't like gay people if you don't like people of color um you're an enemy of hoodswood's clan essentially so it really does come down to just like nazi punks fuck off exactly exactly that i mean it, it, even you know they there's from our documentary there's um I forget the band now, but it's a kind of a, a famous song, if you like, in fringe kind of anti-fascist circles, a very old song um, where they're just singing, come on, come on, anti-fa hooligans. And it's just like, yeah, it's that Nazi punks fuck off. That old school attitude. When I um, was a teenager, was very much interested in like 161 culture, was very much driven by that actually as a teenager. Um, I've always been explicitly like an anti-fascist my whole life. You know what I mean? Not involved in this cancel culture, all of this online internet theory. That for me is very boring. But back in the day, um, I know it's hard often for a lot of Americans to understand because I do understand that the anti-far culture in America is a little bit different. It's often about ostracizing people from a community. Whereas in Europe, um, it was always about bringing everybody together and being like, hey, we hate the people that hate us, you know, and it was very cool. And it was very, yeah, it was very, it was Nazi punks fuck off. It wasn't like, oh, you're canceled because you didn't read Marx or some nonsense like that, you know? So they're very much the old school essence of what Antifa was. In fact, it's quite funny. We're seeing some right-wingers from America commenting on our Instagram, like, wow, okay, this is not Antifa that I thought actually these guys look cool and it was like yeah these guys look cool this isn't screaming outside of a Starbucks this is finding out the people that want to hurt your friends because they're gay black whatever and hurting them first and whatever people think of that is up to them but it, that is what it is you know that is very much what it is for for Hoodswood's clan sure you know I'm sure they say words that would get them cancelled on the internet or whatever you know but essentially it's like okay so you're the language police versus the lads that have actually lost members like they've died through anti-fascist violence you know so I would say I would I would rather have Hoodswood's clan <laughs> next to me in a fight you know what I'm Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Same. Can you tell me about the resistance committee a little bit more? Because, you know, over here, we, we read so much about the media focuses on like the, the kind of the more mainstream Ukrainian defense stuff. And if they're talking about the, the territorial militias, they're usually talking about Azov. Right. Yeah. And this is the first time I'd heard of the resistance committee. Can you tell me what who they are and how Hood's Hood's clan fits into their structure so much as it is? Yeah, so the, resist- the Resistance Committee is a coalition of anarchist, anti-fascist, general anti-authoritarian fighters, um, people that took up arms and said, yeah, we're going to fight this Russian imperialism, we are going to fight against Putin with weapons on the ground. Um, but, you know, as I said, there is obviously a right-wing element to militancy in Ukraine, as there is anywhere. So they were like, well, we want to form our own group, we don't really want to even though we have put our political issues aside, we don't exactly want to join Azov because that's that's just completely opposite of what they believe in. So they formed the resistance committee. There's around 50 to 100 fighters, I believe, um, all armed there. They signed up on day one. They're a part of the territorial defense. Um, and yeah, Hutsuts clan joined them because again, like I said, they said, yes, we've got a truce, but we're going to join the group that is essentially an anti-fascist group as opposed to, a far right group. Um, and yeah, under the, under the umbrella of the resistance committee, there is Revdia, the uh, militant anarchist group from Ukraine that I made a documentary with several years ago. There's a group called Black Flag UA. Um, I think there's some people from Kharkiv Hardcore, which is a far left um, punk scene from Kharkiv, obviously. There's people, I think, from Eco Platform, which is a militant vegan organization. Um, and there's Hutsuts Clan. And there's also just general, you know, non-group affiliated anti-fascists and now there's even apolitical people there's people that saw this group in the region and were like oh you guys are doing a good job we like you can we join up and they're like yeah hey but you know we're anti-fascist and of course you know ukrainians are like yeah cool we don't mind that's fine <laughs> you know so they joined as well so it's a mix um but it, it's interesting but i think due to various bureaucracy um, and issues with the territorial defense which is no fault of the fighters it just is what it is in a war um i think they might have to split up and form different units to actually get back to the East um, and get fighting in the East again. Um, but but again, like the resist- resistance committee is just one part of what is actually a very big and largely underreported left-wing or anti-fascist or anti-authoritarian uh, element to the war. There is, like I just mentioned, several groups, Eco Platform, Harkiv Hardcore, the resistance committee, Hoods Hoods Clan, um, Operation Solidarity, which is an amazing like anti-authoritarian aid organization that supports all of these groups and gets them cars, night vision. There's a whole network of anti-fascists across Germany, particularly um, all the way to Germany, um, that are helping these groups. Um, you, you know, like uh, it's um, th- there's a lot of them. Saint Pauli is supporting Hutsuts Clan a lot financially and with 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 equipment and stuff like that anti-fascists have reached out to me like there's a really cool photo of some anti-fascists in germany packing up food supplies that will go to people in ukraine so there is a big element of this out there oh and there's even a a, a, um, a weapons repair unit named after nesta Makno, you know the famous um anarchist revolutionary from ukraine um 
And there's even another unit named after Nestor Magno. So essentially, the the kind of um, right wing element is very good at propaganda and it's very good at um, getting their name out there. And, you know, let's not pretend like Eastern Europe is obviously a, a much more right wing culture than, you know, whatever kind of news, liberal news media is focused on. So the the right-wing groups will get more attention, not to say that all the right-wing groups are fascist. They're not. They just would be considered right-wing. But my point is there is actually also a very big anti-authoritarian, anti-fascist element to the conflict that is just going massively underreported. So it's unfortunate that, that it is that way, but it is what it is. I mean, to be honest, one of the first fighters that died in the East, uh, Igor, he was um, a like lifelong anti-fascist punk guy. Um, and he's like a martyr now. And you even see right-wingers saying like, yeah, this guy's a martyr. Like, you know, we, we wish he wasn't dead sort of thing. Rest in peace. And it's really to understand the Ukraine war, you can't really be online too much. I think you really have to understand it from the point of, this is not about politics for the Ukrainians. It's about survival. And luckily, Ukrainians are, are smart enough and pragmatic enough to go, yeah, obviously, we don't care what some person is crying about online. We're going to put all our issues aside to form the best defense we can so that our people don't get killed. And my last point I would say is one of the best points I heard was from uh, Salem, which is the, the the kind of founder of Operation Solidarity, this anti-authoritarian aid group. And he was like, look, yes, there is a problem with, you know, right wing issues kind of in Ukraine, you know, but at least we're allowed to have these issues. If you if Russia took over, we wouldn't even like we wouldn't even be allowed to think anything but pro Russia. There would not be anti fascist um, fascists, right wing, left wing. There would be none of that. It would just be Putinism, you know. So I think that was a very good point. He was like, yeah, actually, it's kind of a good sign that we're allowed to have all these various different battling ideologies, you know, in a country of 44 million with a very rich history. The fact that anybody is surprised about that really shows they haven't done their research. So when I see these tankies online screaming, yeah, what about Azov? What about Azov? It's like, yeah, it's a fucked up situation, but that's war. And then you could say, well, what about um, Rusik and all the other, the, the, you, you could argue that there's actually um, a larger um, per capita presence of neo-Nazis fighting for Russia because there are many, many, many neo-Nazi um, battalions in the in the Donbass, in the in the separatist regions. Um, recently, a photo came out where the head of the Donetsk People's Republic was given a medal to a guy with an SS Totenkopf and um, a Kolovrat patch. You know, a Nazi guy. He's from a Nazi group. You've got Wagner out there, which is a Kremlin-linked uh, private military contractor firm run by neo-nazis um you, you know what i mean it just it just keeps going and going russia had from 2014 to 2015 had a neo-nazi serial killer gang called sanitaire 88 or the cleaners that killed over 15 people in moscow and filmed it like you know what i mean they have a huge neo-nazi political party so the idea that russia is denazifying ukraine is a joke they should have denazified russia first you know what i'm saying yeah, we actually had a really cool episode about that uh, a couple of months ago. Yeah, back. I've seen it. I've not listened yet, but it, I, I really can't wait it's, to. It's, it's totally worth your time, said the I man agree. advertising his show. Um, <laughs> so, I would also encourage just real quickly, anyone interested in this, to just type Wagner Group Leader into Google, into a Google image search, and take a look at that man's tattoos. Again, uh, uh, a Russian-backed mercenary unit that's been doing a lot of horrifying things in Africa – that again is underreported and no one's talking about. Yep. And just just see see what he looks like and what his tattoos are and, and see how you feel about that. Sorry, Jason. No, not at all. I I have a question about how you go from 
hooliganism, which is mostly, I would guess, you know, hands, legs, yeah. feet, to picking up an AK-47. I assume that's mostly what they're using. Yeah. And is there training involved? I mean, do these these folks know what they're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so they they joined the territorial defense. You know, the, the kind of Ukraine's state paramilitary fighting force, which was set up for volunteers to back up the regular military. Um, and they have like a guy assigned to them, which trains them basically. So the whole of Hoodswood's clan. I mean, I literally saw a photo this morning. They're out in the field somewhere training. They're training every single day. You see some of it in our documentary. They're doing target practice. Um, they're training like nonstop. And these are very disciplined guys. The reason they were such an effective uh, football hooligan firm was because they trained. They all do Muay Thai or boxing or some kind of combat sports. In fact, before the war started, they just opened like a Hoods Hoods clan gym. Unfortunately, that went to shit um, with the war. But yeah, so they're all training um, and it essentially just came down to, you know, we want to defend our country and that's it. You know, these are, these are, these are not nationalists, but they're certainly patriotic people, which I think there's nothing wrong with. I think anybody that would happily see their fellow neighbors be slaughtered because of internet politics is um, mentally unwell. So these guys were just like, yeah, of course we're going to defend our people. Um, I mean, Hoods clan nearly got killed there. A lot of them were, um, there's a video of them, um, kind of trying to evacuate civilians from uh, Kiev outskirts when Russia had allegedly formed a humanitarian corridor and Russia just started shelling them with mortar rounds. And luckily, you know, they grabbed people, got them in the car and got them out. But that's what it is for them. They want to they want to help their people. They're sick of seeing their, their fellow countrymen and women and children dying, you know, and that was it for them. It was just it was a no brainer. In fact, Anton, the kind of de facto head of Hoodswood's clan, he had fought previously. Um, so all of Hoodswood's clan fought on the Maidan in the revolution in 2014. Again, they called a truce then with some with some um, fascist groups so that they weren't fighting each other. Um, and then Anton went to the East and fought in a, in a militia there, just kind of on his own. And, you know, he has some war experience already. Um, and certainly they all have experience because they were in, you know, the outskirts of Kiev. Um, they were some of the first people on the scene in Bucha and Borodanka, um, after the massacre. So yeah, for them, it's just, it's natural. It's, you know, it's, they're defending their country the same way anybody else is, you know what I'm saying? And yeah, training a lot, a lot of training. I don't want to zoom out here and start talking about kind of the troubles you've had getting people to see this thing. It's like, I I've watched it. It's, I mean, it's a good documentary. It's not any different than anything you would see on frontline really like any basic, any, anywhere else. Uh, you do have people shooting AKs and some footage of some hooliganism, but other than that, it's fairly tame. And yet, and yet what's, what's going on with popular front and, some of these companies like YouTube and Instagram. Yeah. I mean, you're right. It is fairly tame. I mean, the, the, okay. There's scenes of football hooliganism, people fighting in the streets, but it's archive footage, which is used to explain who these people are, which is, that's what journalism is. Um, a part of it anyway, it's a part of the standard reporting and that is actually protected under the guidelines of YouTube. Um, and yeah, we, I mean, the subtitle of the documentary is, um, a film about friendship, um, violence and resistance, which is war, <laughs> you know, and we're reporting on war. There's no gore. There's no nothing like that. There's no racism. There's no foul language. I mean, there's foul language like shit and fuck, but that doesn't mean you should be age restricted. 
And what's interesting is the second I uploaded the documentary before it even uploaded properly, whilst it was processing, it got hit with an age restriction. So I'm like, what's going on here? So if anybody doesn't know, an age restriction basically means that you have to have a YouTube account where you've given YouTube your personal details um, to authenticate it, essentially, to then be able to watch an age-restricted video. That absolutely torpedoes the views. It removes any way of you to make money. Um, firstly, our whole channel, uh, excuse me, our whole channel is demonetized anyway, but there is like a thanks button you can put on a documentary so people can click it and just donate five, 10 pounds to you, whatever, and say, yeah, thanks, this is good. For some reason, they've even removed that, which has nothing to do with their advertisers, but there you go. So our whole thing is nerfed. Um, it doesn't really come up. I haven't, I don't know anyone that's seen it come up and they're recommended despite watching all popular front content. So yeah, so they have completely, um, this is in my opinion, soft censorship. In fact, I think that's objectively soft censorship, you know? So they've censored a documentary about anti-fascist football hooligans fighting Russia's brutal imperialist invasion of Ukraine. To contrast how insane this is, there is a parasite YouTuber by the name of Danny Mullen. He's the scum of the earth. And he has a uh, video on YouTube, which is, I believe it's called Picking Up Hot Refugee, Hot Ukrainian Refugees. So this is a 30 plus year old man with his friends who are also 30 plus um, age. And they go to the Mexican border and basically prey on young Ukrainian refugees who are there. And some of these girls are very clearly underage. It is one of the most disgusting videos you will see in your life. Um, if any, you know, Ukraine Americans out there or any Ukrainians listening to this haven't seen it, you really, you really should avoid it because it's actually vile. Um, and anyway, this guy does all that. Um, and that, that video is not only not age restricted, it's monetized. This guy is making money off of preying on young Ukrainian refugee women on YouTube freely with YouTube's permission. And we are demonetized and age restricted by for showing anti-fascist fighters in the war in Ukraine. To me, it's it just makes no sense whatsoever. I just find it absolutely vile. I find it disgusting um, and I don't understand it. I've reached out to YouTube. There's a guy at YouTube. He can't help me. No one wants to help um it's very annoying it's very frustrating once you have an age restriction it's basically impossible to get rid of it and not only is there an age restriction there's also an extra little window that you have to click okay on which says some of this content might be offensive what is offensive about fighting a war like it's just crazy and and again i just want to be clear there's like there's no recourse for you there's There's nothing we can do we're not big enough you know Mm -hmm. um you know, when I worked at Vice News a long time ago, if there was any issues on YouTube, they had, um, how do I say it nicely, shook the right hands. <laughs> um, and they could just call anybody at YouTube and say, hey, can you sort this out for this? And they would sort it. For the little guy, people like me, we can't do that because YouTube is, is not about uh, empowering independent creators. Absolutely not. It's about um, creating their own circle jerk of corporate media where they can happily still make advertising money off of it. It's not about the truth. It's not about reporting. It's not about journalism. And actually, I had a very deep dive into it. And YouTube has gone against their own um, journalistic guidelines by censoring our documentary. Um, and it's actually, in America, technically illegal. 
because um, it's like First Amendment stuff. But there's nothing I can do. There's literally nothing I can do. So all I can do is just ask that people go to youtube.com slash popular front and share the documentary. Anyone with a big audience, we're trying to get people to share it. Um, it's 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 annoying, man. I mean, you know, there's people like Ilya um, um, Pomodorenko. He has a million Twitter followers now. He's like the most followed Ukrainian journalist. We actually had him on Popular Front um, and helped him get um, the Kiev independent like news out there before the war. Um, he could share it. He hasn't, you know, he won't, but he could share it. But anyone like that could share it and it would really help. You know what I'm saying? Because we are being censored. And to be honest, mate, it, it's making me just think, why should we make docs anymore? Um, we make a huge um, financial loss every time we make a documentary, sometimes in the tens of thousands of pounds. Um, and I mean, certainly with this one, we're probably down eight grand, if that, like, I mean, probably more than that, I, I should say. And, you know, we, but the money is not the issue. You know, Patreon, we do okay. We do good with the merchandise sales. We just want people to see our stuff. Like, that's the whole thing about Popular Front. We're not elitist. We're not about journalistic circle jerks. And certainly, I am completely horrified by the 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 i have been for years the the war reporting circle jerk the big i am the thousand yard starers you know i hate all that scene so that's kind of why we created popular front to say hey fuck them we we you know this is for the misfits and it's also very detailed and it's in my opinion good high quality journalism um and yeah and so like we just want as many people to see what we're doing as possible and we're being stopped by the very people that allegedly ostensibly are the people that are meant to help you do that and it's just very, it's very depressing, actually. And it's really disheartening. You know, it, it's like, man, what, what am I doing this for? Like, you know, why am I, re- I'm risking my life. You know what I mean? We, I mean, the, the day we arrived in Kiev, a rocket hit um, a block of flats in the middle of the town. You see it there. We went to it. It's in the documentary. It killed one, one journalist, actually. Um, and it's just like, man, like, this is getting me down, you know. Um, so what we're probably going to do is we might, I think the only option left for us is to do a fundraiser to try and say, hey, we need like 20 to 30 grand to keep making documentaries for the next two years or so. Um, otherwise, it's just, it, I just don't know what to do. You know what I'm saying? It, it's, and it, I mean, we have over 100,000 subscribers on, on our YouTube channel. We are a verified YouTube channel. I have the plaque right next to me. And still, this happens. And there's no one for us to talk to. There's no one for us to reach out to. Team YouTubers ignored me on Twitter. I have like, I don't know, what, 120,000 followers on Twitter. Loads of people retweeting it. They've completely ignored it. Um, and I don't know, man. <laughs> I guess, what can we do? There's not much we can do, you know? The thousand yard starers is such an evocative image. <laughs> you know what I mean, right? The kind yeah, of I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. yeah, and they're like, I've seen shit. Cool. Haven't we all? Please don't, don't unload your negative issues on me. I am trying to enjoy my life and do my work. And I'm not impressed by hearing how many bullets you've dodged. It really... It's so tiring, man. And, uh, you, you know, like these kind of circle jerks of war reporters that are just like, we're heroes. You know, they don't say that, but they're like, we are heroes. And it's like, no, we're not. <laughs> it's a cool job. It's an interesting job. And it's an important job. But let's be real. Um, you know, we're, we're just normal people doing what we're doing. And it's a, it's a good thing. I like the media. I like journalism. But yeah, I just don't like that attitude. But anyway, my point is not to be too negative. My kind of whole reason for starting Popular Front and, and framing it with the aesthetic and the, the vision and the morals that it has, the integrity that it has, is because that kind of thinking, that thousand-yard stare, elitist war reporting circle, actually excludes a lot of very, very good up-and-coming reporters, researchers, um analysts all them people so you know popular front is for everybody we even have on a website we say you don't need to be 
involved with journalism. You don't need to be invited to a journal circle jerk to be in on this. If you like good reporting, cool, come to us. If you don't like what we do, the way we do it, that's also fine. It's for everybody and it's for the misfits as well, but it, it is what it is. But yeah, man, uh, we certainly could have had a lot more help from that crowd, maybe because I've been you know, slagging them off for four years is why they don't, so I don't blame them. But we actually had a really good guy reach out to me from the Frontline Club who have kind of, I mean, I emailed them a few times to be like, hey, can you help us get, you know, raise awareness for the issues we're having? And they've ignored me for four years. But there seems to be a new guy there now who reached out to me, a very good guy. and was like, hey, man, I love your work. This is not right. We're going to help you. So maybe things are changing, you know, maybe things are going to change. And and I think no one can argue that this is a unique story. Any editor would want this story. I mean, I'm writing an article as well. Like I've written two articles already about them for various outlets outside of popular front. So, yeah. Yeah, no, it's a great, it's a great story. It's well-reported. It's, and again, it's focusing on something that not a lot of other journalists would focus on, but the work is solid and it is the camera's looking in a different place than it normally is, but it's, it, it looks just like any other documentary. I mean, it doesn't, it looks like popular front, but you know what I mean? Like it's, no, 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 I totally, I totally get what you mean. It's not like, um, we're, we're grassroots. We're, we're independent, but we're not amateur. You know what I'm saying? We're certainly not. Yeah, amateur. exactly. We've got to a stage now where like, it's kind of a, a, a not the greatest compliment people say to me man this could be on netflix i'm like fuck that like this is better than that stuff you know what i mean because i'm cocky or whatever but but i get it i get the sentiment it's like yeah no we're putting our all into this bro we you know i spent hours learning how to edit properly and get good at this and do good reporting i've been on the front line since i was 24 like i'm 32 now we we a lot of there's a lot of us involved in this we're a small team but we're doing our best the graphics have got good the music's got better the flow the editing the reporting the fact you know everything the the nuance and to put that much effort in and then to just be like slapped down is is a bit of a pain that said in a week we've got like you know we're pushing nearly 70,000 views on the documentary which isn't bad but you know if we weren't age restricted i'm sure that would be at 170,000 by now and tell us again where we can find it and where we can find the show yeah so if people go to um youtube.com/popularfront They'll see the documentary. It's the first one there. Um, the title on the YouTube is Ukraine's anti-fascist football hooligans fight in the Russian invasion um, for SEO purposes. You know, the doc's called um, Frontline Hooligan. Um, and if people want to support us, they can go to patreon.com slash popular front or they go on our website, popularfront.co. You'll see everything there and buy a T-shirt, popularfront.shop. You'll see the T-shirt, believe it or not, the T-shirts fund a lot of our documentaries, which is great. Um, they fund them and then we lose the money because we don't make any back, but it's all good. But yeah, man, that, that's the way people can do it. And just share our stuff if you can. And, you know, if they can tag us wherever, they'll see all the socials on the website. They can do what they want. I recommend, again, the actually I have Havana Syndrome T-shirt. That one's my favorite. Jake. <laughs> it's good that, right? Yeah. Just let me explain that. So, so people were like, why did you do this? And, you know, at Popular Front, we say we do serious work, but we try not to take ourselves too seriously because people on the front line don't take themselves too seriously. You, you'll, meet, you'll see the best camaraderie out there. So we kind of wanted to take that element with everything we do of the kind of boisterous kind of attitude of like frontline fighters and guerrillas and soldiers and whatever and kind of, you know, leave a bit of that in the journalism. Don't make it too earnest. So when we do a lot of our merch, it's it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek. It's not like a comedy T-shirt. I, I, know, I think that's a bit weird, but it's kind of tongue-in-cheek. So the CIA were saying that Cuba was letting out some kind of sonic death ray and giving everybody something called Havana syndrome. Maybe it's real. I, I, I don't know. But to me, it sounded like a lot of diplomats were drinking too much. So we kind of made a, a funny shirt that just said, like, 
um, it says, um, what does it say? Like, actually, I have Havana syndrome because, you know, yeah, it's, when, it's, it's like a kind of like a spiral and a palm tree and a guy like rubbing his temples. <laughs> it's like, actually, yeah. I have Havana syndrome. <laughs> yeah, because also another tongue in cheek thing was like, you know, when people are like, um, actually, I have ADHD, like it's all the rage that have some kind of issue now when mostly people are fine. So we were, we kind of wanted to be like, you know, actually, I'm not hungover. I have Havana syndrome. <laughs> so for us, I just thought that was funny. It's one of our best sellers, actually. Like, uh, and the, the 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 style of it, we wanted the logo to look kind of amateur, kind of like ink press, you know. And I think it comes off. Jake Haverhead, thank you again for coming on to Angry Planet, and everyone should be listening to Popular Front and go watch this documentary. Thanks, man. I appreciate. It. I really owe you guys. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. That's all for this week, War College listeners. As always, War College is me, Matthew Galt, Jason Fields, and Kevin O'Dell. It was created by myself and Jason Fields. If you like us, if you really like us, at angryplanetpod.com, where you can get bonus episodes and commercial-free versions of the mainline episodes, and uh, every great now and then, a post. It's $9 a month. Again, go to angryplanet.substack.com or angryplanetpod.com. Next bonus episode should be going out shortly it's about biden's trip to saudi arabia and the geopolitics of oil good times as always we will be back hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com next week with another conversation about conflict on an angry planet stay safe until then